today, I get to close out our series on the Apostles' Creed, which I think has been it's a great series. Uh, we've been going through this series and being reminded uh, that our faith is a historic faith, uh, that this creed that was created back in the 4th century uh, existed and uh, maintained uh, its ability to be within the church and direct the church for over a thousand years. And uh, Christians throughout centuries have believed in Jesus and believed to these basic doctrines. That's another great thing about this series is that it has reminded us about some of our basics of what we believe. Uh, and so some of these basics we've looked at through this series was that God the Father is our creator and is the creator of everything. We look at Jesus. Some of the basics of Jesus, that he was born of a virgin, uh, born of the Holy Spirit, uh, that he died on the cross and rose again on the third day. We looked at the Holy Spirit uh, and looked at uh, who he is. Uh, and we looked at, uh, last week, uh, we saw that Jesus, or we saw that Gary uh, talked about how Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins. And so today, I get to close out the series, uh, which is the last two lines of the verse, uh, which is the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Which, when I saw that this was going to be my sermon, uh, I got so excited. Uh, I uh, love talking about eternity. Uh, I love talking about this idea of heaven uh, and that the things we make here uh, affect our eternity. And I love this topic because it's core to who I am and my story about how I came into ministry. See, when I was in high school, as most high schoolers start to do in 11th and 12th grade, uh, they start to think through, okay, what, what am I going to do with my life? Right? You're done just kind of doing school, having fun, 11th, 12th grade starts coming up, and you're like, okay, this is coming to an end. What, what am I actually going to do? And so I started thinking through, uh, you know, what are the different options, different professions. I started talking to different people that I knew, uh, cold calling, different uh, professions that I thought I'd be maybe interested in and doing. I spent about a year and a half doing that, and when I started looking into these different things, I, I came to the same conclusion. This wasn't something for me. Uh, this wasn't really getting me excited to do, uh, and I was starting to get a little downhearted. I didn't really know what the next step would be for me in my life. Until one day I was reflecting on uh, this whole topic and reflecting on my faith, uh, and I thought, if because I was here, someone's eternity changed from being in hell to heaven, that I changed their eternal trajectory, that, that my life meant something, that my life had purpose. Uh, that because I was here, I'd be able to see someone in heaven that I helped bring to heaven. I mean, that would be so cool to see. And uh, so because I, I thought about that, and that really clicked for me, that that was something that I could devote my life to, uh, the year after high school, I started to pursue ministry. I started to pray through where God would lead me into ministry, went to Bible college and seminary, and ultimately ended up here. Um, so this topic of eternity everlasting life, uh, I think is so important, so like fun to talk about, uh, because of uh, just how it is for me in my own life, uh, and how it affected me, and I think it is central to the Christian life, 
uh, to think about this and to think about the uh, implications uh, that it has on our Christian life. And so as I started to go into uh, ministry, starting working in churches, um, I started to reflect on what the purpose of a church is in the community. Uh, because I started to see that there are a lot of different organizations within communities. Uh, and so, for example, a school, uh, their main focus is to educate, right, to uh, help people gain knowledge of ideas, of topics, of facts and figures. Uh, they primarily help develop the brain, right, to develop a person in their education. So academic programs, so uh, athletic programs, I started seeing, okay, well, their main purpose is to help develop the body. Right? They are pushing young athletes to uh, be healthy, to eat healthy, to develop, to develop strong muscles, bones, and to push their body to the max. Right? This is something that athletic programs do. Right? They care and they see that young uh, person as an athlete right? through the lens of developing them uh, and their body. But what does the church do? What is our main emphasis within the community? And I think one of the main uh, emphasis are, is that we focus on and remind people that we have a soul. That we care as a church and a community uh, about the soul of a person. Uh, and this is incredibly important, I think, for our day and age. Uh, I think even within churches, uh, not even on purpose, the word soul isn't used that much. Uh, we use the word heart a lot. Uh, we can, uh, you know, give your life to Jesus. Um, and so it's not on purpose that we don't use this word a lot, but soul is sometimes often not used. It has a little bit of a heaviness to it. Uh, I remember uh, years ago, I worked at a kid's camp over in Limerick, and we'd go on field trips. And uh, I remember we did a, a, a duck tour down in Philadelphia. We'd go on these little... Up, uh, boats and go down to the river, and they talk a little bit about the, the city and all that sort of stuff. And so we bring the kids down and everything, and, and we're getting onto the duck boat, and uh, the person says, Oh, we have like 20 souls on board. And it's like, Well, that, that just like puts you a little different, right? When that, when that person said that, it was like, Oh, wow, okay. Just, you're not just looking at us, it's like, Okay, we have 20 people. You don't have like, Oh, there's 20 uh, people in attendance. It's not, it's not a stat, like, it's all those souls. Uh, and that was, uh, just, it has a weight to it when you say that. Um, so because of that, I think just in casual conversation, uh, it can be maybe uh, just not talked about as much. Uh, and in our culture, we tend to focus on emotional health. That seems to be a, a really big topic. I remember when I was in uh, life group with my high school guys uh, last year. Uh, they've graduated now. I, I don't have a high school guy life group. Um, but life was getting kind of stressful for them in 12th grade. And one of the guys would take, like, an emotional health day. Right? He wouldn't go to school just to have emotional health, right? He was getting too stressed out, so he just take a personal day, you know? And uh, so he's called emotional health day. And he took, like, one or two of them. And we just were joking about it, and we were, we were saying, oh, you just take a soul health day. Uh, you know, just take one where you just, it's mostly just about focusing on Jesus, your relationship with the Lord, read the Bible. Uh, and it was kind of a joke, but also kind of serious, uh, because... Uh, our culture wants to push, you know, emotional health, which I think is important. Um, but we can't lose the language, especially within the church, about our soul. Uh, and so, uh, where does this idea of the soul come from? Uh, well, uh, in the Bible, uh, we see it in Genesis 
uh, early in the book of Genesis, in the creation story. Uh, and the Hebrew word for soul uh, is nefesh. Nefesh. Now, in Hebrew, there's a, translating Hebrew words is very hard uh, because it's very contextual. A word in Hebrew can mean like five different completely, like completely different things in Hebrew. Uh, so it really depends on the text or the context of what you're reading. Um, and so uh, this word nefesh is one of the first words you see in the Bible describing what we would think of as a soul. The context of this word, the different meanings you see with this word is breath, uh, breathing uh, is the way that this word sometimes is translated. Inner life is another concept that's caught with this word, nefesh. Uh, and the word soul is, a, is this word that's somewhat connected to uh, this Hebrew word, nefesh. And it's first found in Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 7, uh, where it says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, uh, and the man became a living person. Now, last two, those last two words, living person, is the word nefesh. And you see within the context, we see that God created man out of dust and that he breathed life into uh, that man. Right? So this idea of breath, right? God's breath gave this life to this person that was just made out of dust. Right? So this concept of breath, soul, what animates us, what is central to our personhood, uh, is this concept that started to be developed uh, within the Old Testament, right? That uh, it would see it as core and central to who we are as people, as living beings, something that animates us, uh, and something that was given to us by God, is this idea of soul in a person. And so today we're going to look at a few verses of what the Bible says about the soul and how that eventually connects to our understanding of eternal life and the resurrection. And so to start, we're going to look at a passage in Deuteronomy, which I love the, the song today, talking about how we love the Lord our God with all our uh, soul uh, in that, in that uh, song because we're using a, a passage from uh, Deuteronomy that talks about that. Uh, so we're going to be looking at a couple of verses today. Uh, you're free to go into your Bible and uh, go uh, find those verses. Uh, we're going to be looking at several of them. Um, or we'll have them up on the screen for you, uh, just for the sake of ease, uh, for you to be able to, to look up uh, at the verses uh, that we look at through today's sermon. So the first one is Deuteronomy uh, chapter 30, verse 6. Uh, we see here, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your, your heart and with all of your soul that you may live. And we see here that Moses sees that the soul is central to our worshiping of God. Uh, that when we come together to worship, or when we worship on our own, by ourselves, uh, that knowing that we have a soul, and that our soul is connected to this idea of worship. That we don't just mentally worship God, saying, yes, I believe these things, check mark, check mark. That is not some sort of emotional, maybe manipulation sometimes that can happen, or we get really emotional about God, which is, is good to become emotional and be sensitive to uh, God. But that there is something central to our personhood 
something that is given to us by God that connects with God in worship. Uh, and I think of that song that we've sung a couple times here, uh, where it says, uh, it is His breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to God. Uh, and I love that phrase within that uh, worship song, because it captures this idea, right, that it is His breath in our lungs, and so we pour out our praise. Again, right, connected to this idea of breath, uh, and central to who we are as a person. Um, and so, when we worship God, our soul needs to connect with God and worship God. Uh, and maybe you've had moments where you've felt that, right? Where it wasn't just singing a song, it wasn't just going through the motions, but you felt totally connected to God, fully lost in worship, and that your soul was magnifying the Lord. Right? That uh, is part of our worship and central to understanding that we have soul and that it connects to us worshiping God. The next verse helps us continue to understand uh, our soul as a person is Jeremiah 38, verse 16. That is, the king Zedekiah swore secretly to Jeremiah, as the Lord lives, who made our souls, I will not put you to death or deliver you into the hand of these men who seek your life. So this verse affirms that God creates each one of our souls. Uh, that He forms them, fashions them. Uh, it's not just some factory up in heaven, just kind of these soulish type of things, and He just goes boom, you know, like puts them in there. Uh, he's, he's not just pulling them out from some big blob of a soul, and then like, okay, here's a little soul particle, and throw it into a person. Uh, but that He shapes and forms souls and puts them into people. Early church fathers and scripture would probably affirm that uh, this soul is given to a person at conception. Uh, that when a person is conceived, uh, that God gives that person a soul. Uh, and this soul uh, is something that uh, is makes us unique, gives us personality, uh, and is something that is part of being made in the image of God. Right? That He gives us uh, this soul. The next verse, actually we're going to look at two verses that touch on this idea of a soul, uh, is Genesis 35, verse 18. Uh, this uh, lady in Genesis 35 is dying, and it says, As her soul was departing, for she was dying. So, in this verse we see that as we are dying, or at death, that our soul departs uh, to be with God. Uh, and Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7, affirms this. Ecclesiastes 12, 7 says, And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. And so it is important to affirm that we have souls. And to focus on them because the soul is a part of us that goes on to the next life. Now, this soul, this idea of the afterlife, uh, can be somewhat hard for people to understand, can be confusing, uh, it can cause people to uh, maybe become uncomfortable about understanding eternity, 
where do our souls go? Um, this idea of eternity that we just exist forever uh, can somewhat be uncomforting some, for some people. Uh, it can seem pointless to talk about. Um, why care about eternity? Right? Uh, this is like something that's far, you know, far away. We'll be there forever. Uh, we just kind of want to care about here and now. Uh, why does this matter? Well, it matters because it really mattered to Jesus. Uh, Jesus often talked about the afterlife. Uh, it is a very important topic that he brings up over and over again uh, in his teachings. Uh, and so he taught that after death, when we die, uh, we can go, our soul can go two places, heaven or hell. Uh, and so he talks about hell. Uh, and we're going to look at a few verses that describe uh, what hell is like. That's not a fire and brimstone sermon, uh, but it's important uh, because this is uh, something that Jesus talked about and for us to be reminded of when it comes to the nature of our soul and where it could potentially go. Uh, and so, in Mark chapter 9, verse 43, Jesus talks about hell in this passage, saying, And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. Now, here we just need to note that he's not talking about literally cutting off our hands. He's using uh, exaggeration to show the importance of our conduct here on earth. Uh, but we really want to focus on how he describes hell. He says that it is an unquenchable fire. Okay, so just note that. We're going to look at two more verses, and we'll talk a little bit more about how these verses come together. So in that same chapter, Mark 9, verse 47 and 48, says, And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So here we have this idea of some worms or worm living in this place that he describes as hell, and it does not die, and that the fire is not quenched. Uh, and then lastly, we see in Matthew, chapter 13, verse 41 and 42, says, The Son of Man, that is Jesus, will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all the lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so we see these descriptions of hell, uh, one being uh, this fire, lake of fire, uh, some sort of fiery image that Jesus uses. Um, is it a literal fire? Uh, we don't really know. It's hard to describe places of eternity uh, that aren't really bound by time and don't really have the same qualities as here on earth. Uh, in human language, uh, it ultimately falls short. But uh, we can somewhat gather that Jesus is probably mentioning or talking about this in the way of being a fire that uh, it will be somewhat like we would think of if our hand was in a fire. Uh, it will not be pleasant. Uh, it will be painful. It will cause anguish to a person's soul uh, there forever. Right? That this lake of fire or this fiery furnace that he talks about uh, it's a place uh, where our soul will experience uh, pain uh, in a way that we would somehow associate to our body being in fire. 
And he also talks about uh, this regret, this anguish that we have, this weeping and gnashing of teeth. Right? That there be weeping, right? this sadness that he mentions. Uh, and this gnashing of teeth, this imagery of anger and regret. Right? If you ever got really like this regretful anger, right? where you have like, clenched your teeth really hard that maybe you made a wrong decision you can't go back on, uh, or that you're really angry at yourself uh, for something that you did, right? It's like that, you get that tension out through like clenching your teeth together. And so these image, this, this, uh, these imageries that he gives about hell is a place where there is sadness, uh, often bitterness, regret, knowing that they cannot now go on to heaven, that they are stuck in hell, uh, that the decisions they made here, uh, they may be regret. Uh, and it is not a place you want to be. Uh, it's a place where God is not, where the God of life and love is not. Um, and so, uh, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be where God is, isn't. Uh, that would not be a good place. So, why did Jesus talk about hell? Today, we really don't like talking about it. People often are turned off by it. They don't want to hear it, uh, which is interesting because Jesus talked about it a lot. Um, he talked about it because he is a God of love. It would not be loving to not warn someone of impending danger. Uh, if you knew that two miles down on a river there was a waterfall that would lead to death, and you saw uh, a person on a boat going down the river, and you just waved and said, Oh, hi! Good to see you. Enjoy your ride. Would that be loving? That wouldn't be loving. You would say, Hey, stop! There's a waterfall coming. Please get out of the river. Right? And they can do it now if they want. But it would not be loving just to allow a person just to continue down the river and not at least warn them. It wouldn't be loving if you saw a car or a bus coming to hit someone and not say, hey, come out of the way. There's a bus, there's a car about to hit you or try to push them out of the way to save them. It wouldn't be loving to not do something or mention something or warn someone of impending danger. And so because Jesus is love, and because he knows the spiritual realities past this life, he warns us of this. Uh, but he also offers another option. He also, he also talks about uh, this everlasting life that he gives us. That Jesus offers everlasting life. And this is the other option uh, that we have, which is to believe in Jesus. Uh, and we all know the verse very well, John 3.16. Or it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, that is, go to hell, or have eternal life. Right? So if you believe in Jesus, you transfer from the kingdom of darkness, your eternal trajectory, towards a place of torment and separation from God, to everlasting life, to being with Jesus, to being with the God of life and love and joy. And then we see again in 1 John, chapter 5, verse 11 through 13. It says, And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, that is, believers. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life or eternal life. 
And so Jesus offers this second way. And what will heaven be like? Well, we don't really know exactly. Again, it's the same thing as our descriptions of, of hell. It's, it's this eternal place uh, in spiritual realities that we are in a temporal place and we are physical beings. So it's hard to use language and ideas to capture what it will be like. Um, but it will be a place of great joy uh, being with God. You know, we will be singing uh, songs to Him, worshiping God. Uh, that won't be our lives 24-7. We'll have fellowship with other believers. Uh, and there will be this joy, this fullness of being with God after we depart from here to be with Him. Now, that is in our soul state, right, that we will be with God. And somehow when we depart uh, and to be with God, we will still know that, that I am who I am. Right? That my soul, when it goes to be with God, or goes to hell, um, that I will know that it is me. And that God will know it is me. Uh, I, will, I will retain my personality. I will retain my personhood of who I am, even though my body has been left here on earth. And then here's the amazing turn in Scripture, uh, is that we don't exist in some soulish state forever with God. Uh, and this is uh, shown through the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, there's a belief that the physical things are bad and spiritual things are good. The resurrection uh, turns that on its head. The resurrection is God, after he died, came back in human form. Now, what was his body like? It was a, it was a restored body. It was this little uh, glimpse, this preview of what our restored bodies would be. Right? That when he died, his soul type of state left, continued to exist, but then came back. And we see that it was a physical body. We know that, you know, doubting Thomas, like, touched his side. But we also know that, like, he just appeared in rooms. <laughs> it wasn't a normal body. Like, he, he went through walls. Like, he, he, like, teleported back up into heaven with this body. Like, it wasn't a normal body as we know it now. It was a fully restored type of body. And this hint, this preview of what God will do with us. That he will give us some new spiritual body, this merging of this fullness of flesh of my own body and the fullness of my restored soul. Uh, and God at one point will decide when that happens. Uh, most likely at the second coming, when Jesus would come back uh, and he brings all things uh, to right. Uh, he will restore all things. Uh, and we see this, and we're going to look at a uh, few more passages. These are the last passages we're looking at for today. Uh, we see this in 1 uh, Corinthians uh, 15. This is the passage that we read today, or that Dave read today uh, for us. Uh, and then we're going to look at just two smaller sections of this uh, chapter. In 1 Corinthians 15, 42-44, Paul says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead, that... Sorry, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. Uh, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. 
it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And then again in 1 Corinthians 15, same passage. Behold, I tell you, a mystery. We shall not all sleep, that is, when Jesus comes, when this, this time comes where he brings full restoration, some of us will still be living, but maybe all of us will have passed away at that point. Uh, but we shall all be changed. We will be changed. We will somehow still be ourselves. We will know who we are as our soul. But we will be new creatures. We will have new bodies. We will feel the fullness of God radiating through our bodies. We will be fully restored. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. What a glorious promise for believers that God loves His creation. He loves uh, to restore our bodies. Uh, and He shows us in the resurrection. And the last verse we're, we're looking at uh, is in uh, Revelation, uh, where it says in Revelation 21, this is the fullness, this is really what the, our time together with the Lord uh, will be. But then He will dwell with them, that is God, with us. And they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is ultimately where all believers will be. All of our pain, our hurt, emotionally, physically, spiritually, will be restored, and we will be with God in this new creation that He has promised and will bring forth into our reality. This is all previewed in the resurrection. And this is the importance of the resurrection. Now, talking about eternity, heaven, uh, being with God, how is this relevant here and now? Uh, and this is often maybe why uh, pastors, preachers uh, sometimes stay away from this because we just talk about pie in the sky. Uh, yes, it's great one day, but you know, we're all just trying to like get through a week, get through a day, you know, pay bills, you got responsibilities to handle. Uh, what does it matter? that I believe in eternity, believe in hell? How does my belief that I'm going to heaven uh, impact my life now? Well, I first want to emphasize that the main message of Jesus is the forgiveness of sins for eternal life. Uh, that yes, there are, there are practical things we can work out here and now, and that our Christian life is about here and now, but primarily it is about being saved and going to be with God. We're here for a split second in light of eternity. Like, it's great that we can work out our Christian life here, and it's important to do that. But we will know the effect, like, wow, yeah, this is awesome. I'm so glad I believe in Jesus here and now, because I get to be with God. So what, what does this matter? What, why does this, and how does this connect to our lives here and now? Well, first, we're going to look at three uh, quick reasons why. First, it makes my decisions here primarily my decision about who Jesus is 
immensely important. Immensely important. Your decision about who you think Jesus is determines the trajectory of where you'll spend eternity. That means what you're doing here and now matters for eternity. And what you believe about Jesus is the most important decision you will make. Secondly, it affects how much pressure I put on myself here and now. If you don't believe in the afterlife, if you don't believe you have a soul and that this life is all there is, everything better go exactly as you want it to go. Alright, you better like try to take advantage of everything and every person so that you get to live your best life. That your care and concern for others should probably start to diminish. You should try your best to get as much money, get the best job you can get in your own eyes, try to get the best relationships, have the best friends, have the best stuff, because after this life, uh, it's lights out if you don't believe in the afterlife. So that puts immense pressure on a person to like manufacture their perfect life. And if it doesn't go that way, it can lead to this like internal crumbling of a person, into major depression, into a disillusionment of what their life is and why does my life matter. If that stuff start doesn't, if the bad stuff uh, begins not to happen, or if some major tragedy occurs, that, that's that's huge weight to put on a person. So when you believe in the afterlife, it starts to put into right perspective how you view things here and now. That yes, man, maybe you didn't get the job that you wanted, but you believe that there is a God and that He's going to work through that situation. And you know that ultimately you're here for a very short amount of time and that you know where you're going to be with God. And so, yes, it's, it's okay if you don't get the riches of the world. It's, you're going to have the riches of God in eternity. That doesn't necessarily mean that going after this, you know, having a good job, having a lot of money, having nice things is bad. It just helps balance it. It doesn't become an idol. It doesn't become the thing that defines you. It doesn't become uh, the end-all, be-all of what's going to bring my happiness. I can pursue my dream job with joy because it's like, oh, if I don't get it, that's okay. God is with me. I know I'm going to a better place. I know there's a grander story for my life. This isn't my end-all, be-all. And so it helps uh, to bring a right calibration into our understanding of this life here and now. And lastly, uh, it gives us hope in the midst of serious illness, tragedy, and suffering. To believe that we have eternal life in Jesus, and that He will one day restore our bodies and our soul and our mind and our hearts, gives us hope to get through very hard moments in our life. It gives us hope that we have a God who cares about us and is going to eventually one day restore who I am. We have a God that came to earth and experienced those sufferings. Without believing in in eternal life, without believing in Jesus, these things that can happen into our life, suffering, tragedy, serious illness, uh, can rock our world and can leave us hopeless. 
uh, for this life. And so, believing that there is an eternal eternity, and uh, that there are two options, heaven and hell, is immensely important into our life, and does start to come down into our life here and now. Now, I did talk about this decision, uh, that, we, uh, that the most important decision that we make in our life is to believe in Jesus. Uh, and this morning, I would like to offer that invitation. Uh, and so, I don't ever want to assume that everyone here, no matter how long you've been coming, believes in Jesus, that you've made a decision to believe in Jesus. We also could have someone here for the first time or second time, and they're just starting to know about Jesus, or, or they want to make that next step to believe in Jesus. And so we want to just provide that time for someone to make that decision, to place Jesus as their Lord and Savior, for you to, to realize that you are a sinner, uh, that you fall short of God's standards. Uh, that even in falling short, even though we are sinners, that in the midst of our sin and looking at us as sinners, Christ still died for us. And if you're here today and you, you're looking at your life and you don't really know the purpose or the meaning, uh, you realize you're trying to find uh, this next step in life, uh, this morning we would just like to offer that invitation for you to accept Jesus. Uh, to have Him forgive you of your sins and to inherit eternal life. That your relationship with Jesus is a small taste of eternal life and this relationship you develop with Him here and now, you will feel the effects of that and you'll meet Him in heaven one day. Um, so how we're going to do this is we're just going to have people close their eyes, bow their heads, uh, and we're going to have a, a moment of uh, just prayer. Uh, and I'm going to offer the invitation, and if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. Uh, that'll be it. We're not going to call you to come up. Uh, we're not going to like tell you to stand. Uh, we'll just encourage you to uh, come talk to one of the pastors or a Christian friend uh, if you've made that decision, uh, because we would like you to take that next step uh, in your relationship uh, with God to start telling people about this decision you've made. Um, so let's close our eyes, bow our heads, and uh, have this time of invitation. Thanks, Father. Um, Lord, as we come to the end of this series, um, Lord, we don't just believe and check the boxes of these doctrines, but Lord, we wholeheartedly believe in the gospel uh, and that you are God who is changing lives throughout all of history. Lord, we pray that today we would be reminded that we have souls. These souls are going to two different places. They can either go to hell apart from God or they can go to heaven to be with Jesus. Lord, if there is anyone here today um, who would like to make that decision to place Jesus as their Lord and Savior in their life, Lord, we pray that they would just raise their hand as an act of uh, showing uh, you, God, uh, that you've done that and taking that small step of recognition to do that. So, Lord, we pray right now, anyone who would like to make that decision, raise their hand. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for those who placed their faith in you this morning. But we know now, because of that, your eternal trajectory has changed and that they are on a new path towards you. Lord, we are a church that cares for the souls of people. May we never forget that. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to work in our congregation to spread the good news of Jesus uh, to other people so that they can start their true and abundant life here and now and forever with you, God. Lord, we pray that this week we would continue to search and long after you. 
And we pray for those who already made that decision for you in their life that are Christians. Lord, that we would be encouraged and strengthened in our faith for those who've made that decision uh, for you. Uh, Lord, we pray that you strengthen us in our walk with you. In your name we pray. Amen.